Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I uh, would like to encourage you to turn to 1 John 4. I don't know if you clocked it, but uh, the verses that um, Kyle just read uh, are the same verses that Ali Ling from the Baptist Union of Scotland had chosen for his little uh, reflection as well. So that wasn't planned, just the way it's uh, worked out. So I guess it's pretty remarkable when you think of when you think of the Bible and you think of a passage about love <laughs> and Jesus, there's lots to choose from. Uh, and uh, God has led us to 1 John 4. So whether you're on an app, the ESV app or the Version app, I would recommend either of those. Or whether you've got a paper Bible, it would be good to turn and follow along there. And we think about these different words, peace, joy, hope, and today love. And uh, these are all words that we use in multiple different ways. And as we think about that, we realize that that can sometimes be challenging. The way we use language can sometimes be difficult, especially if you're anything like me and you're maybe not the most concise or exact or careful in how you seek to communicate. That's certainly true of me. I, I was sharing with uh, Scott and Harley this week that I loved my time at university, not because I aspired to be an academic. In fact, I knew I would never be an academic, but I just used to love sitting there and watching and marveling at these lecturers and the way that they were able not only to store such information in their heads, but for example, in a Q&A, if you asked the question, there would just be this calm pause, and then within a moment, we'd come just the most effortlessly exact, concise, beautiful answer to a question. And I just longed. I said, oh, I wish I could, I could be like that. It was so impressive. Well, um, you know, we're not all like that. We are sometimes a bit more careless with language. And one of the words that we can be most careless with or that can, we can throw around uh, as, you know, as much as any other word would be the word love which is, of course, the, the topic for our consideration just now. I'm sure we can all think of many examples of how broadly this word, and sometimes carelessly, this word is used. So I've got um, Google Keep on here for, for keeping little notes, and I've actually got two notes on there, which I, I started around 2011. I haven't actually updated them much over the years, but one of them's called Things I Dislike, and one of them's called Things I Love. And these are just random little observations that I've come across that I thought, for some reason, I'm going to jot these down. So here's the first two things on my things I love list. First of all, when a shop keeps its selection of drinks extremely cold. I love that. Anyone else, anyone else relate to that? I, I can't handle lukewarm fridges of, of drinks in shops. So that's the first thing, things I love. Here's the second thing on my list of things that I love. When someone has pre-opened the plastic bags at the self-service checkout so I can casually drop my items in rather than stand there for 60 minutes trying to open one bag. <laughs> I actually wrote that down and dated it in my Google Keep document there. I do love those things. Here are some other things I love. Liverpool FC, fish and chips, a comfy pair of slacks, my kids, a good scented candle, peeling plastic off a new gadget, my wife, Terence Malick movies, uh, where I've lost my place. I, I, I need to share this list with you. It's so important. Um, my uh, sermon prep Spotify playlist. If anyone needs some nice peaceful music with no words, then I'll send you the link for that. And also uh, when someone uses 
a creative gif to close off a conversation thread that has gone on too far. I love, I love, I love those things. And I could go on. And here's the thing. I also love God. Or first, more importantly, and we'll get to this, I believe that God loves me and God loves you. Now, you can see the problem here, right, with how we're using this word love. I I don't want to be the language police, and I don't really want anyone to be that for me. I, I don't think we should get too caught up in these little things, but... I should, and I I do for the record, (laughs) make a distinction between my love for my family and my love for Lowe's fish and chips. There There is a difference there. As good as Lowe's is over in West Hill, a little plug for them if you if you if you need to check them out. And and I certainly do want to be clear, not just now, but also just in terms of how I live my life, how I think, act, the things I pursue. I want to be clear that the love of God shown in Jesus, shared with me, known, embraced by me, shared with others, reflected back to God himself, the type of love that God shares with us is in a category all of its own. Nothing comes close, so we need to figure this out. And in those wonderful verses that Kyle read for us, there are a number of things that we learn about the love of God. So here's the first thing. Love originates from God. We have to start here. We often might be inclined to think of love in terms of what does this mean for me? How will this make me feel? Well, I think before that, we have to understand the source of what we're talking about here. Or maybe it's incomplete to say it like that. I said, you know, we have to understand what the source is. Maybe another way to say it would be, we have to understand who we're talking about. Not just what we're talking about, but who. Now, the passage says both those things. So look at verse 7 of chapter 4. It says, love is from God. So love is something that is sent to us from God. But... Look at verse 8, and there's a lovely little phrase in verse 8, the same in 16, a, verse, a little phrase that you've probably heard where it says not only is love something from God, but actually it says God is love. In some ways, it is absolutely crucial to understanding who God is. And then actually in verse 9, we, we, we see something slightly different. We see that love is shown by God, and we'll get to this in a moment. So the first thing we have to think about is that true love is God, the creator of this universe, giving of himself. Now, if you think of that giving, maybe a picture comes into your mind of someone handing a gift. And I think that's not the most helpful picture. As meaningful as a gift like that is, it's external from someone. It's detached from them. That's not how we should think about God's love. It's not detached from Him. It's not just something He just, oh yeah, no, I'll give a little bit there, a little bit. No, not at all. Think instead of this picture of the rays that come from the sun. Yes, there is a sense that they emanate from the sun, but in a very real sense, they are the sun. They, they are the radiating presence of the essence of what the sun is. 
And that's how we should think about God's love as we receive it. It's God giving of himself. And as that comes to us, as we receive it, it's not like him him just flicking a gift at us. It's us receiving of himself. And this brings us to our next point. This brings us back to Advent. Because when we think about God's love being God giving of himself, we might think of Advent. We might think of something that is made explicit in these verses, which is the second point is this. God's love is displayed in Jesus. So love originates from God, and that love is displayed in Jesus. When you think about those things, love coming from God and God being love, Jesus may have already come to mind. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, which I just love so much. It says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So we see both these things here again, the exact imprint of his nature, that is to say Jesus is God, and he is the radiance of God's glory. He shines forth from God, not detached, but like powerful rays bursting forth from the very core of who God is. And we see this when we think about one of the most famous Advent passages in the opening of John's gospel. It says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, of course. And it says, and the Word was with God. So in a, st- in a sense, distinct from God, there was God the Father and the Word Jesus with God. But then it says straight away, and the Word was God. And then a few verses later, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus coming to this earth, and we have seen His glory shining forth, glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the love of God. God Himself giving of himself. And that gift in Jesus shining forth in glory and splendor and majesty, full of grace and truth and indeed every other possible characteristic of the character of God. And in this passage in 1 John 4, we see this, that God's love is displayed in Jesus in at least two key ways in, uh, in our verses. We see it in Jesus coming and Jesus dying. And look at verses 9 and 10. And in these verses, we can just hear how John is trying to find language. He's trying to find as many ways as possible to communicate with us about the wonder of God's love. So verse 9, 1 John 4, in this, the love of God was made manifest, was displayed, was made known to us. In this, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. The love of God is displayed in the sending of Jesus, the very Son of God. And here in this verse, we get the first little glimpse of, okay, what does this mean for us? If this is what love is, what does this mean for us? It says that we, that that we might live through him. There is life that comes through the sending of Jesus, a kind of life different to the one that we are born with. 
through Jesus coming to this world, through the Father sending, we might live through Jesus. Uh, And that's the purpose. He says, so that we might live. This is why God sent Jesus. We all need life. And this Advent season can be a time when you embrace the life that Jesus comes to offer. So we see that God's love is displayed through Jesus in his coming, and then secondly also in his dying. This is verse 10. Now I'm reading from the ESV. Kyle, I think, read from the New Living Translation, and there's a little difference here, and there's a, there's a tough word in the ESV, which is there on your screen. Um, uh, in verse 10, again, John's trying to find, again, another way to describe this love. He says, you know, verse 9, he just says, and this is love that God sent the Son. And then he says again, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. That's why I said we should start there. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So verse 9, Jesus came that we might know life And verse 10 is now explaining how this works. We get detail on why Jesus came. He came to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we speak about language and throwing words casually around. That's probably not a word that you have casually thrown around this week. Propitiation. What on earth does it mean? Well, it's an English word from the 16th century, derived from Latin, and the famous version of the Bible from back then, the King James Version, used this word to describe what was originally written in Greek, what uh, the author, the Apostle John, is getting at here. And the ESV, different translations then, translate the Greek in different ways. The ESV has tried to stick over the years very close to the King James, but trying to just make it a little more readable. But interestingly here, they've chosen to keep this word propitiation, not change it. Now that's, I, you know, I, I, don't, I have no issue with the NLT or the NIV calls it an atoning sacrifice. Jesus is an atoning sacrifice. But the ESV, have, uh, they've, they've kept it because they think there's something unique and special and precious about this. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins? Well, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins means He is the one who bears in Himself on the cross, bears the consequences for the wrong things that we have done before God. He is the one who takes the punishment for our sins in our place so that, and here's the point, here's the ultimate point of propitiation, it's so that the, 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 the judgment of God does not need to fall on us, but we can know peace with God. We can know closeness, atonement. That's why the NIV calls it atoning sacrifice. We can know reconciliation. We can know togetherness, love, peace, joy, together with God. The point here is that God's love is expressed in the sending of Jesus who was put forward as an offering to stand in our place, and He absorbs what should rightly have come to us, namely the right and just judgment of God against sin. The point here is that Jesus took that on Himself, so we don't have to. That's what it means for Him to be the propitiation 
for our sins. Jesus gives his life, absorbs the punishment that should have been ours so we can be at one, atoned with God. Now, this is, of course, the subject of eternal wonder and mystery and glory. There are so many huge issues raised there, all worthy of long conversations. Is there a God? Is Jesus God? Is there sin? Have I sinned? What does that mean for me and God? What's the relationship between Jesus' death and these things? Did Jesus rise again from the dead? I know there are so many things here that we don't have time to get into. But the point here in 1 John is that John is dropping this in, not carelessly, but with, with great power to describe the love of God. Jesus is sent by God so that we might know life. And how does that happen? By Him taking on Himself the punishment for our sins that should be ours. God is love. And that love is His sharing of Himself so we might know life instead of death. And listen to the way John just celebrates this in verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Come to Jesus today and know again for the first time this wonderful love of God. Briefly, two implications of this as we come to a close. First of all, This needs to be at the core of who we are, resting in this reality. From verse 13 onwards especially, we see the Apostle John's encouragement to abide in God's love. I'll read verses 15 and 16 for us. It says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides, remains, rests in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. So one of the encouragements here, just briefly, is rest in this love. And and here we see something of the simplicity and the profundity of the gospel. It's as simple as confessing that Jesus is who he said he is. Yes, Jesus, it's giving our yes to God. Yes, I receive you as who you are. And as we do that, then we can rest and abide in that God is in us and we are in God. What a mystery. But there's something so precious about that. Because here's the thing. God will never let us go. And this is what we learn when we think of abiding in his love. In John's gospel, In chapter 10, this is what Jesus said. Listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. Maybe even this morning, as we've heard the scriptures, we hear the voice of God. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And this is such a precious verse for when you're struggling, when you're finding it difficult to believe in the love of God. Jesus says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. Rest in that. Know that in these days. And then the second implication of this great truth that Jesus is love is that that love spills out to others. And this is actually John's main point 
in this bit of his letter here. Look at the way he starts. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. Why? And then he goes on to these amazing truths. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He goes on to say later, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. The point is, when we come to Jesus and receive of his love, if we have truly done that, we can't keep it in. We can't keep it in. It spills out in love for others. The point of Advent is that God's love has flesh and bones. The point of Advent is, the point of the gospel is that God's love comes to us in real presence. Yes, first of all, in the person of Jesus. But then as we come to Jesus, we are so impacted by his love that we then take that love to others in flesh and bones, in real presence. God dwelling among us, shining forth his glory, full of grace and truth, and us sharing those things with others. I have been the recipient of this in some real times of need. God's love present with me through others. God's glory shining forth through others. Words of grace and truth spoken into my life to help me know that I can rest and abide in the love of God. Have you come to Jesus? Do you know this love? Better than any love of hobby or relationship or dream or thing or success or any earthly comfort. Know the love of God through Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Rest in it and spread it for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can know the love of God. Thank you that we can rest in your love. Father, I pray that every single one of us over these next few weeks would abide in the perfect, glorious love of God. Thank you for Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. We confess we do have sin in us. We do stumble. We do wrong. We do uh, push you away. We ignore you and what you've called us to. And God, we say this morning, we're sorry. And we want to come home to you. We want to receive of your love. We want to give our yes and amen to you. We want to receive all that you have done for us as an awesome gift. And I pray that we might today know the, the love of God, the rays of the warmth of the love of God shining on us. And that we would know that over these days. And that then we would spread that love with those you put around us. I pray that for Jesus' sake.